If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Psalms 23 this morning? Psalm chapter 23, I'm going to do my best this morning, if God will allow me to, to finish our series on Psalm 23. We've been in it now, I believe, for five weeks, maybe six, and um, it's been a really good study, I believe. We have two more verses to get through, and this morning, if God will help me to do so, I'm going to get through verse 5 and 6. I'm going to go ahead and read the entire psalm. I know that you've stood a lot this morning as we worship, but would you please stand one last time in the honor of the reading of the Word of God. Psalm chapter 23 says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let us pray. Lord, we are grateful for Your sweet presence here this morning. We're grateful for a child dedication this morning and for parents that have a desire to raise up children to know You. Father, we humbly confess that we need You. God, it's You that we need. It's You that our city needs. It's You that our state needs. It's You that our country needs. It is You that this world needs. Father, this morning we start with us. We ask, God, that You would have Your way with us, that You would speak to our hearts, that You would change us. We pray for awakening. We pray for revival in our own hearts in this church. God, we pray this morning for the man that is here, the lady that is here this morning that does not truly know You. God, that is lost, that today they would come to know You in the free pardon of sin, that they would run to Jesus, repent of their sins, and place their faith in the cross of Calvary. God, I ask this morning that You would anoint me to preach Your Word in the power and in the demonstration of the Holy Ghost of God. Have Your way. Lord, we will do our best to give You the honor and glory. We acknowledge that all good things come from You and You alone. Father, this morning we ask that You would do a work in our hearts and our midst. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to say before I get to our text that God has been doing some really great things at Crossway Church. Lives have been changed. There have been some powerful testimonies over the last three weeks of of real life transformation. And I want to come back to that in just a moment. But I want to give you an analogy that here in a few weeks, football season is going to start. And if you've never been to a Derby High School football game, they're kind of fun to go to. There's almost 5,000 people that will come out to watch these kids play football. The first time I ever went, I couldn't believe it. It's sort of like a mini college game. And it's a lot of fun because Derby normally wins. As long as you're rooting for Derby, it's a lot of fun. But it is fun to be there. The atmosphere is electric. There's a lot of great things. I mean, it's just fun. It's an enjoyable time if you like that type of thing. But I can't help but think about the reality that while thousands of people are enjoying the event, there's really only about 40 that are participating in it. There's a difference between being a spectator and enjoying what's going on and actually participating in it. And 
One of the things that I know as a pastor is that we have had some life change in the last three to four weeks. We've experienced some personal revival in the lives of many of our people. And almost everybody that's been here over the last several weeks would be able to at least testify, yes, God has been doing great things. But I want to say that some of you have been nothing more than spectators. You're just enjoying what God is doing. And while there's nothing wrong with enjoying what God is doing, God wants us to do more than enjoy it. He wants us to be a part of it. God doesn't just want to change everyone else's life around you. He wants to change your life too. But you've got to be willing to say, I'm going to be part of what God is doing. I'm going to let God deal with me. I'm going to let God deal with things in my life that I need to repent of. And I'm going to change. And I'm going to come to the foot of the cross. And I'm going to let God work in my life. I'm not just going to sit in the pew and cheer everyone else on that's having their life changed. That's good and we should do that. But you've got to be willing to get in the game and let God do what He wants to do in your life. Amen? Amen. That's just a side note. It doesn't have anything to do with the sermon. Chapter 5... Or chapter 23, let's look at verse 5 and 6 and see if God will allow us to finish this sermon series this morning. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. You prepare. You prepare. I want you to look, if you have your Bible, look at uh, verse 2. He makes. He leads. Verse 3. He restores. He leads. Verse 4. You are with me. Your rod, your staff. Verse 5, you prepare, you anoint. We've been in Psalm 23 a long time, and it's about time that I make the point. It's amazing how deeply God is involved in our lives. He's the one that really did it all. He's the one that makes us to lie down. He's the one that leads us. He's the one that restores us. Again, He's the one that leads us. He's the one that is with us in verse 4. He's the one that prepares a table for us in verse 5. He's the one that anoints our head in verse 5. Thank God this morning that we serve a God who is so deeply involved in every area of our life. He knows what we need and when we need it. And He is always right on time. You know, the devil wants us to feel like this... That, that God is so uh, unremoved or so removed from our lives, and that He only shows up in the in the huge times of need. But I'm here to tell you this morning that your God is more involved in your life than you know. He knows every thought that you think. He knows every fear that you have. He is involved in your life. He is leading you. He is with you. He is for you. He's preparing a table for you. He anoints your head. He is involved in every area. Of your life. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies. A table. The idea of a table being prepared before us. It obviously deals with the idea of eating. It deals with the idea of being fed. And I like that it's in the presence of our enemies. And we'll look at that in just a moment. But I want to, I want to deal for just a second about this idea of God preparing a table for us. Here's what it tells us. It tells us that God knows what we need to eat. It tells us that God knows when we're hungry. That God knows specifically how to feed us. I think about Jesus when He stood and said, 
that you must eat of his flesh and drink of his blood if you're, if you're going to be saved. That's basically what he said. I think about when he stood there in John chapter 7 and said, If any man, any man thirst, let him come to me. I think about what he said in Matthew chapter 5 when he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. The Bible teaches us that we hunger, that we thirst, that all of us instinctively have an internal hunger and thirst that, that is, it is meant to be filled. It is meant to be satisfied. It's not wrong to hunger. It's not wrong to thirst. But, but the problem is we often forget what we are hungering for. We become mistaken. We think that it is things of the world. We think that it is a relationship. We think that it is wealth. We think that it is popularity. We think that it is success. We think that it is uh, providing security in our own little world. But the truth is, we have a hunger for God that we were created by Him and for Him and that there is an instinctive hunger in the soul of every man, woman, boy and girl. There is an instinctive hunger in our soul placed by God that only He can satisfy. And this morning, the Word of God tells us that He prepares a table for us. God prepares a table for us. He that has ears to hear, let him hear this morning. God has prepared a table for you this morning. God is always preparing a table for us. There is always a meal, spiritually speaking, on the table for God's children. And yet, so many of God's children are malnourished. They're weak. They're spiritually incompetent. They're spiritually small. They have no strength in the inner man. They have no strength to stand for God. And I want to submit to you this morning, it's not because God has not prepared the table. But it's because all too often we're not willing to let God feed us. We don't want what God has to say. We want God to deal with everybody else. We want God to fix the world. We want God to change the country. We want God to change the politicians. We want God to change what's going on around the globe. We want God to change everything except us. God will deal with everything else. But you need to let God deal with you. I've learned in... in, 14 years of preaching and 8 years of pastoring, everybody has an acquired taste. There are certain things people love to eat. And they show up with the attitude of, I will take what's on the table if I like how it tastes. I mean, we all have certain meals and we all have certain things we don't like to eat. Spiritually speaking, the same is true. Whether it's just open praise. I have people who absolutely have a difficult time with the way that people in our church praise God. And then I've got other people who think, wow, we need to cut loose and praise God even more. And everything in between. I can preach one morning on the power of praise and the need to praise God. And I will get the crowd who loves that meal letting me know what a great sermon it was. Because they love the meal. I I can almost tell you, without fail, 70% of the people who will like a sermon on any given morning. There are the crowd that they love grace. And anytime I preach on repentance and I preach on real Christianity and I really try to, if you will, hammer home on, on false converts, they don't like that meal. 
And they let me know. And then later, down the road, I preach a series on grace and how God is good and how we can trust in His grace. And they'll let me know how much they love that sermon series. Occasionally, they even testify about how I've matured so much in my preaching and I've learned so much more. Listen, this is real stuff and this is how we are as people. And here's the question for us this morning, though. Am I really honestly willing to let God feed me? Or do I come to the Scripture? When I do my daily study, do I come to the Scripture with a preconceived determination what I want to eat today? When I go in prayer and I spend time with God and I'm trying to hear from God, do I go with a preconceived Already determined attitude. Here's what I want to hear. And if I don't hear it and I don't receive it, then it must not be God. When you show up and hear the Word of God preached, do you come with with the preconceived idea and determination, I will accept this, but not this. Here's the reality. Our God prepares a table for us. Your God prepares a table for you to eat at. And if you will come to God, whether it's in service, whether it's in church, whether it's in Bible study, whether it's in prayer, whether it's a willingness to allow your ear to be tuned to the the multitude of other counselors in your life, if you will come hungry with a willingness to say, God, I trust you and I will let you lead me, you will find that God will always provide the sustenance for your soul. That God will always provide the strength that you need in the time and day that you need it. It amazes me how a sermon, and I've been part of it before where I I was on the receiving end listening to preaching. It's amazing to me how one sermon can reach 15, 20 different people in different ways. How one given word at one certain time, it penetrates the soul of the hungry man or the hungry woman who came just desiring to hear from God. And God always comes and shows up when we come with a heart that says, God, speak to me this morning. God will speak to one man over here and a lady over here and a man in the back. You prepare a table before me. I can't help but think about those who just refuse to come to the table. Just going through the motions. Mad at God. Because God won't feed you what you want. Tired of of, of God dealing with this area in your life. You just want God to leave it alone. And you want God to work here and work here and work here. Brothers and sisters, we have to trust God. His path is better. He knows what we don't know. His ways are higher than our ways. And you've got to trust God to walk the path that He's charted out for your life. And if God has said, I want to deal with you here, you have got to trust God with that and let God deal with your heart. Let God change what He's trying to change. And the rest of everything you're so worried about will come in its time. But God has this ability to just say, well, if you're not going to move your feet, I'm not going to show you anything else. Because I want to deal with this first. I'm not going to change your wife until you let me change you. 
I'm not going to change your husband until you let me change you. I'm not going to work in this area or this area or that area if you are defiantly looking me in the eyes and telling me, no, you will not work in this area in my life. You've got to be willing to come to the table. And here's what the Bible tells us. God prepares a table. There is a table prepared for each and every one of us. Notice it's in the presence of our enemies. In the presence of our enemies. Two quick things I want to say about this statement. We're always going to have enemies. Sometimes our enemies are people. Sometimes our enemies are um, larger than a single person. It can be um, a group of people. It can be an organization possibly. Uh, and throughout history and even in parts of the world today, countries are enemies of Christians. And there is a real evil force of devils in this world who are our enemies out to steal, kill, and destroy, who have one mission, which is devouring the church. But here's what we have to understand, that God prepares the table for us in the presence of our enemies. This tells me that sometimes you're just going to have to keep pressing on even when you feel like there's enemies all around. And that God does not always remove the enemies. God does not always take them totally out of your life. Some of you have to work around people who are your enemies. They want to see you fail. They want to see your, you fired. They want to see you terminated. Some of you uh, have people in your own family who are hostile to Christianity and they, they just hope that you fail. They can't wait for you to make a mistake so they can point their finger at you and say, oh, you're a hypocrite. You're a Christian. Some of you kids that, that go to school, there's going to be kids at school that spiritually speaking are hostile to your faith. They are enemies to you. They will challenge you at, at staying pure and tell you there's no sense in waiting to, for marriage. There's, they'll tell you that there's no sense in abstaining from sexual immorality. They'll tell you that there's no sense in, in saying no to drugs and alcohol. You will find that in this life, no matter where you are, there will at times be enemies around us. Some of them see themselves as our enemies. Others do not. They don't see themselves as an enemy, but in reality, spiritually speaking, when it comes to your relationship with God, many of them are. You have to know, you've got to learn to stand for God and to be faithful to God in the midst of it. And you've got to know that even in the midst of that, where you feel weak, where you feel surrounded, where it feels like your enemies are breathing down your neck, that your God still prepares a table. That's, that's sustenance, that's strength, where you can pull up to God and eat and drink and get strength in the inner man to stand firm against all the attacks of your enemies. Some of you might find this odd. I don't really care. I just feel compelled to share it anyways. We've dealt with demons here at the church. A handful of times we've had to cast demons out of people. If you don't believe that's real, you don't believe the Bible. And so I'm not even sure why you're here this morning. Amen. But it's real. Amen. Every bad person does bad things, isn't demon-possessed. There's not demons in every corner. But demons are real. The Bible teaches us that they're real. We've had to deal with them here before. 
And there have been times in the past when I was here alone praying at night and felt the presence of demons in the place. And it just made me want to leave. I mean, it just I'm telling you the truth. I'm a man like you. I'm not a super spiritual superhero. It, I just felt like I need to get out of here. It's kind of scared, scared me. But then I was grappling with, well, <clears throat> if you get up and you walk out, it's going to be obvious that you're scared, and I don't want to do that. And, and so I'm praying, God, give me strength. And I remember a time I was at this altar, praying right here, and I, I, was, I felt so surrounded, I couldn't even think. And as I, as I knelt to pray, it felt like there was something standing over me about this far from my neck, breathing on me. I'm talking about you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That's what I'm talking about. And here's what I, I, I can't even tell you, I just think it was probably the help of God. There was some stuff leading up to this moment I've left out because some of you probably wouldn't even believe it. But at that moment where I felt like something was breathing over my neck, I realized if these things were going to do something to me, they done would have did it by now. And my God is protecting me. And I set up and I said out loud with my voice, what is it like to be so weak you can do nothing but sit there and watch me praise my God? I said it out loud. And I lifted my hands in the air and I began to thank God. And I'm telling you, I felt the physical presence of evil leave at that moment. Sometimes, in the face of evil and in the face of our enemies, we've got to be able to just pull up to God's table and find the strength that only He can give. He does prepare a table for us, and it happens at times in the presence of our enemies. You anoint my head with oil. You anoint my head with oil. There are two applications to this anointing of the head. One is a very literal medicinal application. It's much like we would put Neosporin to a cut. Uh, there is a, in the Bible, if you ever read of the balm of Gilead, it was a type of balm that, that helped bring healing to those who were physically wounded. You would actually place it on a wound and the, and the people would become healed. This idea of anointing our head has one application, which is that when we are wounded, God knows how to heal us. And it it, it speaks of the tender care of the shepherd, knowing where we're wounded and how to heal. Because we do get wounded. Sometimes we get wounded by our enemies. Sometimes we get wounded by our friends and our family. Sometimes we just get downright stupid and we wound ourselves. I've wounded myself before and thought, what were you doing? You knew you were going to get hurt, but you did it anyways. A lot of times we act like spiritual children. But whether you're wounded because you wounded yourself, 
Whether you're wounded because your armor wasn't on and the enemy got in there. Whether you're wounded by friends and family. Here's what you need to know this morning. We serve a shepherd who knows where the wound is and how to anoint that wound and how to bring healing. One of the smartest things you can do if you want to learn how to live healed, if you want to learn how to live whole, one of the smartest things you can do is get it settled in your head and in your heart. You're still going to get wounded. God's not going to put you in a cage that keeps anybody from ever wounding you. But if you learn that as soon as you're wounded, each time that you're wounded, regardless of how you're wounded, to take each individual wound to the Lord and say, God, touch me, heal me, help me to think right about this. Lord, help this not to ruin my heart. Help this not to change the way that I live for you. If you will take every time that you're wounded straight to God and put it in God's hands, I promise you, brothers and sisters, you will save yourself a lot of heartache because He will anoint you. He has a way of healing those wounds. And a lot of times we just we don't let God touch them. You know what happens when you don't heal a wound up correctly? It just gets worse. And it festers and it grows and it boils. We serve a God who knows how to anoint and heal. This morning I can't help but wonder if there's anybody here that I'm talking to right now that you've got wounds that you just... You, You're mad and you're hurt and you want other people to hurt and so really you're not letting God touch that and heal that. Whoever you are, God wants you to know He wants to heal you. He wants to heal you and you holding on to your pain and your hurt, it's not hurting the people you're mad at. It's not affecting them. It's only affecting you. He'll anoint your head this morning. I believe it also has the application of when we think of anointing in the Bible, like Samuel came to David and he took the horn of oil and he poured it out on his head. Aaron was anointed and, and uh, oil ran down all the way from his head and his beard and all the way down to his feet. And, and this term of anointing, it, it, it really means to be set apart for a specific cause. And I believe that God anoints every one of us for our specific cause. I think He anoints us, generally speaking, the call on our life, and then I think He anoints us, specifically speaking, with the areas in our life. If you are a father, you are anointed by God to be a father. And you need the anointing of God to be a father. To be a godly father. To do what you do in the strength of God. To think like a godly father. To love like a godly father. If you are a husband or a wife, God will give you an anointing a special spiritual strength if you look to Him, if you depend upon Him, God will give you this special strength to do what He's called you to do. You got any Bible for that, preacher? Well, yes. And and for sake of not turning the whole sermon into this point, I'm just going to give you the principles. The anointing in the Bible always dealt with the call. That's what it dealt with. If somebody was called to a position, the anointing was really the physical outward anointing that took place to represent the inward call on someone's life. This is why God told uh, uh, Aaron to be anointed. It wasn't necessarily the pouring of the oil that brought about Aaron's call, but it was the oil that represented it. If you remember, God told Samuel that um, basically to quit crying over Saul because 
God had raised up a man after his own heart and told Samuel to go find this man and anoint this other man who would become the king of Israel. So the anointing had not happened yet, but God said, I've already chosen him. I've got a call on the life of David. He is going to be the king after my own heart. And so the anointing of God is connected to the call of God on our lives. So, and and I, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying it, but a lot of times we just simply, we're talking about a person's call. When we say, if we say they've been called to be a preacher, then we are also insinuating they've been anointed to be a preacher. Do you follow me? So if you are, if God has gifted you to be a husband, if God has gifted you to be a wife, He has called you into those things. And if He has called you into those things, He has anointed you with power from heaven to do what He's called you to do. God anoints us. Are you walking in the power of your anointing? Are you walking when you're trying to be a husband? Do you just think you got this thing on your own? You're big, you're tough, you're smart. You know how to be a man. Or you fall on your knees before God and say, God, help me. In and of myself, I'm nothing. But God, in your strength, I can be the greatest husband this, this my wife could have ever dreamed of. God, in your strength, I could be the best father that these kids will ever know. But God, it's your strength. You're the one that has to do it. Give me the strength to do it and help me to walk in that. He anoints my head with oil. My cup runs over. My cup runs over. This is the idea that not only does God prepare a table for us, not only does He anoint us, but whatever He does, He does in absolute abundance. My cup runs over. Spiritually speaking, when God's the one that does it, it bubbles over. I've been a pastor for eight years. I've been preaching for 14 I have found that when I personally am not where I should be spiritually, and then I'm being obedient about getting right with God and really getting my heart back where it needs to be, and so I don't really have an opportunity not to preach. I mean, I've just got to get up and I've got to preach. That's that's what God's called me to do. I've got to be obedient to that. And if all the times that I was feeling weak, I came up and I said, well, I'm not going to preach this morning most of you probably would not be here. But I have found that in those times when I'm trying to put together a sermon, ugh, I mean, it's like trying to put together a history test, and I hate history. You know, it's just like, oh my, how trying to make it happen, it seems so hard. But when it's true ministry, and I'm not trying to do something in my own power, and I'm truly seeking God, and I'm studying the Word of God, and I'm spending time with God, and God's flowing in me, I'm telling you, it's like I've got to figure out where can I shut this sermon down. It just keeps coming. It just overflows. It's like God just gives in abundance. The same principle that applies to preaching can apply to our Christian service. You know you're supposed to be loving and kind, to, 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 to love your neighbor as yourself, to do good to your enemies. Brothers and sisters, you try to do that in the power of your own strength because you know this says you're supposed to. It is hard to do. But when God is flowing through you, and it just becomes an automatic response, 
And you're not trying to just do something in the power of your own strength, but you have fallen in love with God and you know that God's in love with you and you just want God to work in you and through you. All of a sudden, you find you've got strength to just keep giving, to just keep loving, to keep being merciful, to keep being gracious. Because when God is truly in it, and we're not trying to do it in our own strength, but God is truly in it, my cup overflows. He gives in abundance. He gives multitudes of grace, multitudes of mercy, multitudes of forgiveness, multitudes of love. He gives and it flows over. My cup runs over. It's amazing that we serve a God of abundance. It's amazing that God is always more than enough. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Goodness and mercy shall follow me. Wherever I go, goodness will follow me and mercy will follow me. Thank God we all need mercy. We as Christians, we need mercy and grace. I didn't just need mercy and grace the day I got saved. I needed it bad then. I needed it so bad then. I was wretched, hopeless, lost, doomed to an eternity in hell as I stood guilty before the one true God. I needed mercy and grace. Fourteen years later, I still need mercy and grace. I still fall on my face. I still get in the flesh. I still say things at times I shouldn't say. I still feel ways I shouldn't feel. I still behave at times ways I shouldn't behave. And thank God that mercy follows me. It follows me. God follows me. Wherever we go, He is there. He's there before you get there. He's there after you get there. He's to the left. He's to the right. He's in the front and He's in behind. He follows us. He's with us. He's promised to never leave us or forsake us. And thank God the Bible says, goodness and mercy shall follow me, but not just follow me, follow me all the days of my life. Here's what you need to know. God is not just going to stay with you for a season. God is not just going to stay with you for a season. He's going to be with you every day, all the days of the rest of your life. He is a faithful God. He is a God that you can trust in. He is a God that will be there when it seems like nobody else is. He will be there always and His goodness and mercy will follow. And finally, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We see from verse 1 to verse 6 that ultimately this is where God is leading us. God is leading us home. This world is not your home. This world is not our home. We are pilgrims. And we are looking for a better city. Recently this year, we've had a few of our own go on before us into that great land. We're going there, brothers and sisters. This morning... We need an awakening of the reality that this world is not our home. We get so wrapped up in trying to build our little earthly kingdoms and it causes stress and anxiety and fear and and we want more money and more things and more stuff and, and we get trapped in the rat race of trying to build the greatest kingdom before our time runs out. But this is not our home. We are going somewhere else. We are going to the land the Bible calls heaven, brothers and sisters. And what blessed comfort that ought to bring us in this world as our shepherd leads us through. That this is not the end. This is just a pilgrim's passage. And as our worship team comes this morning for a song of invitation, 
Can I also say that it should bring an awakening of the real reason that we're here. And that is to bring others with us there. The church has become so center-focused and selfish. So many of our sermons that are filling the airwaves and filling the pulpits across America this very morning are catered for us. Catered about us. Catered for our comfort. And not really our spiritual comfort, but our worldly comfort. And we have lost, in large part, a hunger to win souls. The church, in large part, has lost its focus that we are here to, to, to do the, be the hands and feet of Jesus. The One who came, the Bible says, to seek and save that which was lost. That ought to be our heartbeat. Because our King is leading us home to His kingdom. He's preparing a place for us can't help but think how many of us have lost friends and family that if God came back today, we would be separated from forever. And as painful as that sounds to us, even worse, they're separated from God forever. It's not that big of a deal if you're separated from me forever. But if you're separated from Him forever, forever, That's the last word of this Psalm 23, forever. It is forever. Do we get so wrapped up in God being our shepherd and leading us to green pastures and taking care of our needs and giving us strength in the valley of death and preparing a table before us and and, and anointing our head and giving us a cup that runs over and His goodness and mercy following us? Do we get so wrapped up in that? That we forget we have a mission to win the lost. Many of you have lost friends and family. As I've already said, that if they died today, or if the Lord came back today, they would spend forever distance from God. And I want to ask you as an individual, no show of hands, have you even prayed once this week for your lost friends and family? Did you invite anybody this week that you have a suspicion needs to be saved, did you invite anybody this week to come to church? I prayed last night for my lost friends and family as I was thinking about this sermon and I was out walking and praying. I thought, God, help us to never get so focused on us and Crossway Church and just trying to be so excited about us. God, help us to be grateful for what You're doing. But God, let it not remove the burden from our hearts that's your burden to seek and save the lost. God, I pray that You'd move all across this room this morning. God, I pray that if there be anybody here, Lord, that simply has not been allowing themselves to pull up to Your table, to be fed what You're trying to feed them, to deal with what You're trying to deal with, that this morning, God, their heart would be moved that You cared enough to speak directly to them. God, I pray this morning... God, for us as a church and for us as individuals, 
God to remember this place is not our home. This is not our home. Lord, let us examine our own lives and ask ourselves, do we live like we really believe that? God, give us a perspective of eternity this morning. Move all across this room and finish what you started in Jesus' name.